The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Well, we're going to get started. Some of you heard me say that I'm on East Coast time. I came, even though I live here in California, I came here from Michigan. Uh, so I've been on East Coast time for the last few weeks. So I've been back in California for less than 24 hours. So it's 11 o'clock for me right now. Uh, so I thought I'd start by telling you a funny story about my seminary days, about a professor falling asleep during class. Um, yeah, yeah, just in case it happens. So I'm I'm really glad it's cold in here, because and I put my jacket on. Maybe I should take it back off. It'll keep me awake. Uh, but I was in a Greek translation class, and in the seminary, I don't know what they do here at Westminster, but the seminary I went to uh, for my MDiv, you had to translate orally in front of the class, and you never knew when you were being called on. So when the prof would, um, and I forget what exegesis of something or other we were in, but say it was Galatians, and we'd have to have 20 verses prepared, and you didn't know if you were going to be one of the ones called on, and he would say, Mr. Baker, translate the next five verses and parse these three verbs and these two participles. And you never knew if you were going to get called on, And this one guy got called on, and he was hung up, and he was just kind of going, um, uh, uh, and the prof just kind of put his arm down like this on the podium, and and the guy was just stumbling along, and the prof, we could just watch him, and his eyes were just drifting, and then all of a sudden he went, (laughs) so hopefully that won't happen to me while I'm teaching uh, tonight. But you just heard a message about grace, etc., so if it does, I know you'll, you'll forgive me, just like the Lord wants you to. A little bit of propaganda about our school, and I brought a few things in case you're interested. Uh, we have a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program, and uh, that's offered in two different formats. And one of them is a resident program. And we have about 50 students that are working on a Master of Arts degree in the resident program. And then we have uh, about uh, almost 200 students, maybe a little over 200 students, doing what's called the Summer Institute or Summer Intensive Program. And you come during the month of July and take modules. Uh, They've already started doing their homework in the month of April. Then they come in July and get the classwork. And then they do homework until the end of October, and you get the same amount of material as you would in a traditional semester. And we have people come in from all over the world to do that. I'll have students this summer uh, from Russia, from South Africa, uh, from Costa Rica, and uh, missionaries, pastors, lay people come in from all over the world. We usually have about uh, 30 states 29, 30 states represented. It's just a wonderful group of people to be around studying uh, biblical counseling. And then we also offer an undergraduate biblical counseling degree. We're one of the only colleges in the United States that has a Bachelor of Arts degree in biblical uh, counseling. If you know any young people that are looking for uh, getting a Christian worldview on counseling. We have two big conferences coming up in the month of July. Our men's conference every year is called Men Discipling Men, and these handouts are up here. That's the end of July, and our theme this year is Deliberate Discipleship. And then the... Oh, okay, excellent. 
And then our women's conference has actually turned into one of the largest biblical counseling conferences in the nation. We have somewhere around 1,000 to 1,200 women that come uh, every July. And what is the theme this year? I'm kind of checked out on what the women's theme is. I don't see it there. Anyway, so those are wonderful conferences to be part of and would love to see you there. Okay, why don't we pray now that I'm done with my advertising for the school, and let's pray and talk about family worship. Lord God, we are uh, just in awe of you, and after this last message, I'm in awe of you, Lord Jesus, and thankful for what you desire to do in our lives. Thank you for the power to transform us, and we know that because of the gospel, you make it possible for us to display supernatural acts of forgiveness and mercy and grace through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're, we're thankful for that in the midst of an incredibly needy world. Uh, Lord, as uh, we talk about our families and how to disciple the next generation for your glory I pray that your purposes would be accomplished. Uh, Please help me in my weakness to communicate the things that are on my heart. And I want to thank you uh, for the great gift that you've given me, the incredible blessing you've given me of my family. And um, Lord, I would ask your blessing on them uh, this evening, wherever they are, and all the things that they're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the reason why this topic is uh, so important to me, this is much more than just merely academic, it's because of this, and the Lord has blessed us with my wife, Rose, and myself with six children, and I want to give you a little bit of a testimony. Much of this seminar will be a, a testimony, and not just biblical information, But the reason why this topic was extremely important to me is because I grew up in a pastor's home, and my pastor, or my father, was uh, of the generation that uh, everything in the pastor's life was about ministry. And uh, I grew up as a very bitter pastor's son. Uh, The fact that I've spent 30-some years in full-time ministry is only by the grace of God. Uh, because the last thing in the world I wanted to do was to be in full-time ministry. I, uh, I won't give you my whole testimony, but I absolutely despised my father during my teenage years. And when I, and my dad and I, just so you get the loop closed, uh, my dad and I were fully reconciled and had many wonderful years of relationship uh, together. But that's a story for another time of how all that forgiveness took place, etc., But when I realized that the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry, I was absolutely determined to not allow ministry to tear my family apart. And so my wife and I determined right from the start, we have to build some safeguards into our lives because I lived on the front line of pastoral ministry, living in a parsonage and just knowing what my dad went through as a pastor I was absolutely determined that I was not going to allow ministry. I did not want to have bitter kids, just cutting the, the uh, story short, and uh, wanted to make sure that we were safeguarding our family, protecting our, our family the best that we could. 
can't always can't protect them from everything uh, when you're in ministry, but I wanted to make sure we built mechanisms into our family in the midst of a busy pastor's life to uh, keep our family close. And by the grace of God, uh, that has happened. I've, tonight, I hope that these are actually, will speak more than just the notes will. I've had all of my children in the last, I had them do this about five or six years ago, but within the last two weeks, I've had all of our kids uh, write testimonies and update testimonies so I could read them to you tonight. <coughs> and just give you, I can't read them all because they wrote a lot, but I asked them to uh, just give me a sense of how having family worship influenced them through the years. So throughout the presentation, I'm going to uh, read to you some of my, what my kids say about family worship and how it helped them grow in their relationship with the Lord. I know it's uh, the grace of God. We're not done being parents yet, but our oldest is almost 30. Our youngest is almost 15. We have three boys and three girls, and four are married now. This picture was six weeks ago uh, when our son Joel married Jessica. And uh, by the grace of God, they're all walking with the Lord and love the Lord, serving the Lord. One of my sons, one of our sons is a pastor. Um, This guy, he's a church planter, and, <clears throat> sorry, I'll get my act together here, <laughs> I'm a proud father, <laughs> uh, these two lead youth ministry in their church in uh, Vermont, uh, these two are the care group leaders of, in their church, um, and uh, this guy is going to master seminary in the fall. And his ambition, along with Jessica, is to go to Israel uh, as missionaries. That's got me a little concerned. Um, But they would like to go to Israel as missionaries, and his passion is to introduce biblical counseling to Israel. That's what's really on his heart. He was a biblical counseling major at the college, biblical double major, biblical counseling and Christian education, and she was a, a Bible exposition major, and they believe the Lord's leading them to Israel. And then we... These two lovely young ladies are still at home, so we still have two at home. So, um, this is a very personal topic uh, to me, and I was glad this was last because I'm so tired. I knew my adrenaline would carry me through uh, because I'm so passionate about the topic. So, let's start looking at the outline. And one thing I want to clarify for you from the beginning is this will not be a guilt trip of you must be having family worship because the Bible does not command family worship. You're not going to find chapter and verse on family worship. What the Bible does command to parents is discipling their children. What we chose through the years as the methodology to disciple our children was family worship. So I've got to make that clarification because I don't want this to be a legalism type of thing where I'm trying to impose some standard on you that the Bible does not impose on you. But what the Bible does make very clear, and we know this, right, is that parents are responsible for handing the baton down of being God-fearing people to the next generation, that it is not the church's job primarily to do that, It is not the Christian school's job primarily to do that. It is not the youth pastor's job primarily to do that. It is the parent's job to hand the baton down to the next 
generation. So the way we chose to do that was through the met- our methodology, just like Sunday school is a methodology, just like Awana is a methodology. They aren't commanded in the Bible, but we would all agree, hey, they're wonderful ways to carry out biblical principles. So the way we decided to carry out the biblical principle of discipleship was by having a consistent family worship time uh, throughout the years. Part of the, uh, and I've already alluded to this, another reason why we had family worship was a way to protect our family, to keep us close in the midst of a busy schedule, because I believed as a pastor that I should work really hard for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of the church. I didn't want to be lazy in ministry. I want to give my all uh, to the Lord but I also want to love my family and keep my family close. So we had to work really hard at building mechanisms into our family life that's going to protect our family in the midst of all the busyness of pastoral ministry. And the Lord blessed that that effort, as you'll hear from some of the kids. So the first thing I'd like to do is build what I'm calling a theology of family worship, And I'd like you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, not as a command to have family worship, but we want to see some guiding principles that would reinforce the idea of family worship. Uh, You'll see in your notes on the last page, the idea of family worship has been around for a long time, and there's a quote from a church in Massachusetts from the year 1677 here in the United States. And even before that, we know there's a long-standing tradition in churches as a way to pass down to the next generation godly principles, the idea of godly fathers and mothers leading their family in worship at home. And I I like that quote uh, that's there on the last page of your notes, even though I won't take the time to read it. I'll weave through this a little bit of a testimony of how the Lord led us to this conviction. And this was the first passage that the Lord used to help me, because quite frankly, I was concerned when I realized the Lord was leading me into full-time ministry. And I thought, okay, how am I going to protect my family uh, from everything that goes on in ministry? Or how do, I, how do we stay close as a, a family in the midst of a ministry schedule? And I was translating in seminary, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to give you a little bit of the context in a moment, but I got to verse 15, it says this, and then I'll go back, I'll back out and give you some context, because I think the context makes this passage come alive. Verse 15, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, and when I was translating verse 15, I was struck by the word childhood, or that from a child you've known the sacred writings, and it's not the, the typical word you would expect for children in the New Testament. It's a, um, a rarer word, and it's an infant. Uh, brephos is the, the Greek word, and it's the same word that was used when Mary was carrying our Lord, and she walked in, and she said, Hello, to Elizabeth, and they greeted each other. Do you remember the story and what happened? The, the baby leaped in her womb. That's the same word. This is a 
so you're getting a pro-life argument here also, <laughs> but uh, that's not the point of tonight. But this word for child is of a young, young baby. So Timothy, from the time that you were an infant, you were taught the Holy Scriptures. And let's back out and just get a little bit of, of context here. It, um amazing chapter. It's probably one of the most depressing chapters in the New Testament once you read it. And see if you agree with me. Look at verse 1. Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, and on and on. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't that a depressing way to start the chapter? Guess what? It gets worse. Look in the middle of the chapter. Verse 10, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't like that verse, do we? And then it gets worse, verse 13. So we start off with all that gooky stuff in the beginning verses. Then he start. Then he goes into, if you're going to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. And now it gets even worse. Verse 13, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, that's pretty depressing. So we start off bad, it gets better, and then it gets even worse in verse 13. Now, that sets us up for the section of verses at the end of the chapter, because as a parent... We're wondering, okay, here we are, and we're watching our culture deteriorate, right? We're watching American culture deteriorate. What do we do? Well, what would Paul say? What do you do? Timothy, here you, in the midst of cultural deterioration, there's false teaching, etc. Timothy, what are you supposed to do? He answers that, verse 14. So 13 verses of yucky stuff. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Guess who he learned them from? The answer is not just Paul. If you go back to the beginning of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, it was his mother and his grandmother. So Lois and Eunice, and what did Lois and Eunice do? Verse 15, that from childhood, I've already told you what that word means, from the time you were an infant, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. And then those beautiful verses, once you get them in the context, they just come alive. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. So in the, one of the attitudes we've wanted to convey in our family is an attitude that in the midst of the perplexities of life, the complexities of life, kids, the Lord has given us this amazing book to know how to live life. So one of the reasons we want to have family worship is I want to use the principles of scripture to teach my children how to handle the perplexities of life. So uh, you'll hear the kids talk about this a little bit, but uh, we I don't want my kids to hear about abortion from television or somewhere else. I want them to hear it from me. I don't want my kids to hear about homosexuality from the culture. I want them to hear it from me. 
uh, we've discussed tsunamis. And why does God, after the big tsunami in Indonesia, boy, that was a topic for family worship for a, a number of days. And why does God allow pain and suffering like that? Uh, those are the types of things that we talk about in family worship because of this principle, a pattern of the Word of God being central in the home for dealing with the perplexities of life. And that's what you're seeing here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, those famous verses that we use for the sufficiency of Scripture and the inspiration and the inerrancy of the Word of God are in a context about cultural deterioration. And what do we do with our children in the midst of helping equip them to be able to handle the perplexities of life? So that was the first building block for us. Uh, That one little word there, um, brephos, just really uh, struck me. And so my wife and I decided, even before our first child, Rebecca, was born, while Rose was still carrying Rebecca, we, we started having family worship uh, because we took this very seriously, that from an infant, uh, we wanted her to be able to hear the principles of, of Scripture. Uh, let me start reading a couple of these testimonies. And... I'll start off with Rebecca. I'm not going to read all of them just because I have pages of uh, testimonies here, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll read a little bit of what Rebecca wrote. Again, she's 29 and the mother of one and another one on the way right now. She said, um, I think the main way, I had asked her to answer the question, how did family worship help our family stay close? I think the main way family worship helped our family stay close was because it was a time we all had together each evening. We were all there, usually gave a report on what we had done that day and what the family could be praying about for us. We knew that Dad and Mom cared about how we were each doing individually, and they instilled in us to care about how our siblings were doing and that we needed to be praying for each other. Um, I thought it was important for me as the shepherd of my family to stay in touch with my flock. And a couple of ways that I tried to do that as a pastor through the years was uh, in family worship and just asking them, hey, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? What brought you the greatest joy today? What brought you the greatest fear today? And those two, those just simple questions like that help me stay, stay in touch with my kids. We often ask those same questions at the dinner table, just to create conversation around the dinner table. Dinner table was another way, uh, having an evening dinner time together, we tried to really enforce that, that we're going to be going all kinds of different directions, especially in the teenage years. We had four teenagers at once, so I know what crazy schedules are like. And uh, we had five of six playing soccer at one time on three different, the four different teams, And I was the coach of one of the teams, so we know what crazy Saturday mornings and afternoons are like. But one of the things we did to try to stay close was having an evening meal uh, together. And we would ask questions like that just to stay in touch with each other and create conversation. I was really encouraged. Within the last year, it got really quiet at the table one night. And must have been because the food was really good and everybody was just enjoying eating. Uh, the food, and our 15-year-old, she thought it was too quiet, and so she chimed in on her own, hey, what brought you the greatest joy today? And then she said, what brought you the greatest fear today? And I thought, well, that's, that's a blessing. It's sinking in. I didn't even have to initiate that conversation. 
Um, here's what Elizabeth, who's almost 21, she wrote this. I really believe that family devotions have helped me grow more than most else, and I have been glad that my parents have always encouraged the importance of this special family worship time. Uh, I know that when I have my own family in the future, a family worship time will be part of it. She wrote a lot more, but I'll try to just pick and choose some of the things that the kids are writing. So the first step, as I'm trying to build logically here, the idea of where do you get the idea of family worship, the methodology, etc., the first passage I would go to would be 2 Timothy 3. Now another key passage is Ephesians 6. As you might guess, we would go to that passage, so... I want to talk a little bit, guys, to you, and pick on the men a little bit here. It is not my desire at all, as I said before, to lay some kind of legalistic guilt trip on you about family worship, but I do want to lay a trip on you about being leaders in your home. So this has just been a way through the years for me to be a shepherd of my family, and that is, that's clearly commanded in Scripture, right? The idea of men being the spiritual leaders of their home, that is clearly commanded. Now, however you choose to do that, that's between you and the Lord. There's all kinds of different ways. You may choose to have individual discipleship times with your kids. I couldn't do that. I had six kids, and I was, I was a pastor. I, you know, 50, 60-hour work weeks were really common for me as a pastor. So the idea of having individual discipleship times with six kids on top of preaching exegetical messages and counseling and hospital visits and everything else uh, that I was doing as a pastor. There just wasn't any way I was going to get six individual discipleship times. So family worship was our methodology. So let's talk about Ephesians 6 uh, a little bit. And there's so much we could talk here about context, but we know Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That phrase, of the Lord, is a power-packed phrase in the context of the book of Ephesians, of what does it mean to be of the Lord, in the Lord. The whole idea, Tim was talking to us about the doctrine of union with Christ. I think uh, Paul's even implying in verse 1, the same thing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, follow your husband's leadership. Ch- chapter uh, 5, verse 22, as unto the Lord. And it's just in that whole context of Ephesians of what does it mean to be in the Lord and in relationship with the Lord coming out of chapter 3. And you can think on that more of how this phrase, this is not to be disconnected from the first part of Ephesians. It all flows together of chapters 1 to 3, who we are in Christ. Now, how do we live out who we are in Christ? For men, how we live out who we are in Christ is we're bringing our children up for the Lord. We're bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let's talk about that uh, a little bit. And I've talked a little bit about context, the context of the book of Ephesians, a gospel-centered home a gospel-saturated home. So, And you could do that little study on your own of how it all flows together with the whole theme of, of the book, of a gospel-saturated home. But I want to do this little exercise with you of what is the what does it mean to have a gospel-saturated home, or what is a, a home that is centered in the gospel. So 
When I say the word gospel, what kind of words obviously come to mind? The cross, good news, what else? We've Christ. What other words are related to the gospel? Grace, resurrection, forgiveness. Uh, Ken Sandy, uh, Peacemaker Ministries, has highly influenced me. And I love Peacemaker Ministries. Um, Ken, one of the statements that Ken Sandy, the director of Peacemaker Ministries, he said it in his book, and I've heard him say it in a number of sermons, he said this, that if Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, shouldn't we be the most forgiving people in the world? Well, I'd like to elaborate on that. If we've been shown the most grace, shouldn't we be the most gracious people in the world? If we've been shown the most mercy, shouldn't we be the most merciful people in the world? So what is a gospel-centered home? A gospel-centered home is where you walk into the home and you sense this is a home full of grace. This is a home of mercy. This is a home of forgiveness. Having family worship was not just this Ritual, I'm, I'm sure at times it was that way, but I tried to work hard at fighting against, this is just a ritual we do. No, we are worshipers of the true and living God, and we want to live out the gospel in our home. So, forgiveness, mercy, grace, etc. Um, there's some key words there. And... First of all, fathers. I got this out of Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is, you know I'm kind of geeky about these things when, you, when I say that, I tell you, that, tell you this is one of my favorite books. If you know anything about this book, you know that that's really strange for him to say that's one of his favorite books because it's about this thick. And it, it is just, I think, a wonderful resource in light of what's going on in our culture related to men and women's issues. But they define masculinity this way. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to man's differing relationships. Um, I really tried to drill that. I'd be highly disappointed if any of my boys were here and you would say, what does it mean to be a man? All three of them better be able to say it means to lead, provide for, and protect and just drilled that into the boys, and family worship was a way to help get them ready for their families. So I would let them lead worship, or ask them to lead worship. A few years ago, I've had the privilege of teaching in Australia a number of times, and I forgot to put somebody in charge of family worship just in the rush, you know, international trip, and you're just, it's chaotic the days before you're leaving, or can be. And my wife was going with me and just getting everything lined up. I forgot to put one of the boys in charge uh, before I left to go to Australia. I got down there. One of the things that was on my mind, I was concerned about that. And I said, on the plane, flying across the Pacific, I'm saying to Rose, I forgot to put, ask one of the guys to leave family worship. So we get to Australia the next day, call home, and... I said, Joel, I forgot to ask you to lead family worship. And he said, oh, we already did it, Dad. And I thought, praise God, it's just starting to sink in. He took the responsibility, lead, provide for, protect. And he's starting to get the idea of what it means to be a leader 
uh, in the home. So, men, we're called to shepherd our families. And then there's some key words there. Um, Fathers, and then bring them up, is the same word as nourish in chapter 5. Talks about a man loving his wife. He nourishes and uh, cherishes her. That's the same word, nourish, there. The word discipline is a word for training. And then instruction is our word nuthetic. So it's counsel, teach, uh, etc. The image I get here, and I've done a lot of work since I'm a nuthetic counselor, and for a while I didn't really like that word. I wasn't sure I liked the stereotype that went along with it, so I thought, okay, I've got to do some really in-depth studying of what this word means, and I spent hours studying the word nuthetic and uh, lots of background work doing the word study. And the best book that I think captures what the word nuthetic is is the book of Proverbs. Nuthetic is not a harsh term, and that used to be the stereotype of biblical counseling, was we just beat people over the head with the Bible. Um, Proverbs is this father who loves his son and is trying to warn his son. My son, don't go that way. My son, please go this way. My son, if you go that way, this is what you're going to get. But my son, if you go this way, this is the blessings that you'll get. That's the word nuthetic. And that's what we as parents are called to do, right? We're called to lovingly warn our children to teach and help prepare them for life. Kids... If you go that way, here's what's going to happen. But kids, look at the incredible blessings that come with following the Lord. That leads uh, to these principles. Uh, I think of family worship as a way to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, This is a way for me to make disciples, but with the most important members of my flock. If I'm a pastor, these are the most important members of the flock. And uh, if I lose... Uh, another kind of principle that just was in my brain all the time as a pastor is if I lose my family, I can lose my ministry. And I need to work hard at shepherding my own flock so that I'm qualified and uh, wanting to model to the rest of the church. You can't, In the midst of a chaotic culture, in the midst of a culture that's not very healthy, you can have healthy families. And wanting to model that to the church, you can have loving families. Husbands and wives can love each other. Parents and children, you don't have to have rebellious teens. You want to get my wife started on something, just ask her about the subject of people just assuming you have to have rebellious teens. Uh, Boy, that pushes my wife's button like just about anything. I don't think there's any topic that can uh, get my wife going more than that one. She just... I mean, any chance she gets, she wants to encourage people. You don't have to have rebellious teens. That you can actually, in the midst of our culture, you can have loving, close uh, families. Uh, Does it take work? Absolutely. Is it worth all the effort? Absolutely. Let's go to the next passage. Oh, I didn't even read these. Uh, So the idea of discipling my children... Okay, I did talk about them. See, there's my brain on East Coast time. I'm not even sure what I'm saying anymore. So this is a way for me to fulfill the Great Commission. Another classic passage, and then we get really practical. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You knew I had to go here, right? 
Let me, before we do that, let me read another testimony. This is going to be a little bit longer. And this is, you'll be able to tell, this is by my pastor's son. So he's, uh, he's got his ducks in a row here theologically and just the language that he uses. Um, <laughs> this makes me laugh reading it. Uh, growing up, family worship was a core pillar of our family life. <laughs> yes, you're right. Uh, it was the place where we maintained our unity and relationships within the family. <clears throat> Sorry, you're going to kick out of his wording the next one. But also our communal pursuit of God together. He's really big on that as a church planner. It, just living in community with one another. He's really, uh, they're really trying to emphasize that at their church plant of one anothering. Uh, it was one key place where we lived out a small foretaste of God's coming kingdom, even in the midst of busy, hectic lives here on earth. I can't honestly say I always appreciated it when I was younger, probably because it got in the way of the really important stuff I needed to do, like ride my bike, hang out with friends, or play computer games. But as I look back, I'm incredibly thankful for the discipline that my parents kept in this area. I want to mention two very practical ways that family worship has permanently affected me for the better. There are more than this, but these are the two that have the most direct relevance to my life right now. First, family worship allowed for the recognition and development of God-given gifts. My skills, my skill as a musician and worship leader would have been stunted or perhaps never even recognized had our family worship times not given me the opportunity to practice and grow. Uh, he started playing the piano when he was in about third grade, and then at about age uh, 11, he taught himself the guitar. And so I just turned over music to him, and he started planning worship services from the time that he was about 11. And while he was in college at Masters, he was actually at a, he was a worship pastor during his most of his college years at Masters. And then in New England for a while, he was a worship pastor before the Lord led them to plant this church. And he goes back to family worship as being the place where he recognized uh, that giftedness. I realize again and again how gifts are from God, how gifts, how gifts from God are given and developed in His time, so that all of the glory is His. I had absolutely nothing to do with these gifts, but I'm thankful for the venue that family worship provided for God to grow me. Second, family worship set a pattern for me as I became a husband and father. God blessed Nikki and I with a son, Eli, about six months ago, and all of a sudden the weight and privilege of responsibility as a leader is settling over me in a very real way. Sorry. <laughs> I'm thankful that I have the example of my dad leading us in family worship to follow. I'll sum it up by saying this. The goal of family worship isn't a close family. I know that sounds counterintuitive. The goal of family worship is that God is glorified through families that are pursuing him and each other together. And hey, guess what? Oftentimes a tight-knit family is the result. And I would say that's exactly what's happened with our family. God designed the family as the basic building block both for society and the church. A statement that has affected me profoundly over the last few years is this. 
where the family goes, the church goes. In other words, the families that function as God intended lay a strong foundation for a healthy, God-glorifying, disciple-making church. Family worship is one important way to engage in the mission that God has invited us into as his children. Uh, That leads right into Deuteronomy chapter 6. And again, I hope this doesn't sound ritualistic. If, If this starts sounding like, well, this is just a ritual that we did, somehow I'm not conveying uh, what I'm trying to convey. Our goal as parents was to convey the attitude of kids. We want this to be a God-saturated home. We are God-fearers. We want to serve the true and living God in the midst of a culture that serves all kinds of gods. Kids, we don't want to be captivated by hedonism, materialism, and all the other gods of American culture. We want to be captivated by the true and living God. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 The famous Shema passage says, Hear, O Israel, verse 4, The Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise uh, rise up. A principle, and you see it there in your notes, and I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit after I read it. I desire my children to be so satisfied in the Lord that the world will not have the allure that it normally does. Kids, it's wonderful to be followers of the Lord. This is the best way to live life. Why C.S. Lewis type thinking? Why would I want to drink from mud puddles when God has promised me a holiday at the beach? And part of the the thinking here was what we have in Christ is superior. So when someone offers them drugs, why would I want to do that? I mean, that just looks silly compared to what I have in relationship to the Lord. So the way that practically influenced our family worship is family worship was fun. I never wanted this to be a drag. This was to be a fun time. So we're clapping with music. Um... I have a daughter who likes to move with with music, um, so I encouraged that. If you want to move in time with the music at Masters, I can't use the word dancing. So <laughs> we use the term rhythmic movement. So my my daughter liked rhythmic movement. So uh, our family worship times. I'm not saying all the time, but if. If our kids looked back and said, man, that time was a drag. We're worshiping the God of the universe, and it was boring. Did not want to convey that attitude at all. Kids, this worshiping God, knowing God, getting to know him better, he loves you, he has an incredible plan for your life, and it is wonderful to be a follower of the Lord. So we tried to make the singing time was um, upbeat and encouraging, uh, especially Saturday nights. I'm getting into the nuts and bolts, that, which is the second part of the notes here. But Saturday nights, we took a little bit extra time, and you're thinking, okay, where do I fit this into my schedule? Uh, this is not an overbearing thing. This was probably, uh, on average, about 15 minutes is what we would do at five, usually five days out of the week. We didn't on Wednesday night because our kids got 
they were in Awana, so they had plenty on Wednesday night. And we didn't Sunday night because uh, we either had a Sunday night service or after a while we had our some of our small groups met on Sunday night. So our kids got plenty of Bible on Sundays. So the other five days of the week, we tried to have a family worship time, and then we made it flexible depending on schedules. If I knew that we were going to be splitting up, especially the teenage years, in the evening, then we did it at our evening meal, and I would have family worship right at the end of our our meal. If I knew that that was we were going to be split up, it took some planning for me as as uh, the dad. But if I knew my family wasn't going to be together in the evening, then we started off the day uh, with a a brief family worship time because I was really determined. I did not want to have a repeat of what happened with me in the midst of ministry and just uh, feeling very detached from my my father throughout uh, ministry years. So we were determined we're going to do something to keep our family close in the midst of, of ministry. Then the last picture... And there's a lot we could talk about there. I'm using some Jonathan Edwards type thinking here. This is not just about having family worship kids. This is about having a theocentric view of life. Life is about worship. We live as worshipers. The terminology I like is a doxological life. Uh, I want to live life as worship to the Lord. Family worship is just the corporate expression of how Each of us are trying to live our lives throughout the day, and then we get together as worshipers, as a family, five times during the week, and we worship together. Uh, The basic format, just to give you an idea of that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more on the next page, but the basic format was one or two songs, um, some scripture, or some book that we were reading. We've read lots of John Piper books together. We've read Pilgrim's Progress probably three times uh, together. Every Christmas, it's become our tradition for years, every Christmas we read John Piper's Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ uh, together. That's just one of our traditions during the month of December. That's what our family worship is. And then a prayer time. And if it's... If it's... uh, you know, we're getting home late from something, it's at least a prayer time. If I don't have time to read scripture and we don't have time to sing, or sometimes if we're going home, let's say we're at a church activity or uh, some Bible study or some fellowship activity and we're all coming home, we would have the family worship time as we were driving home, uh, just so it wouldn't feel oppressive when we got home. Now we're going to have to have the family uh, worship time. Another quick point I'd make here, point D in your notes, is just the picture of the New Testament church. What are we called? We're called brothers and sisters. So what is the New Testament church? It is family worshiping together. That's what we are. And I, the way I picture my family, my immediate family, is we're just a little microcosm of the local church. The one anothering should be going on. We should be using our spiritual gifts with one another, we're worshiping together, and so my family is just this little picture of what the local church is supposed to be uh, like, brothers and sisters worshiping together. And then I have a challenging question there, Uh, what does your family worship? That's the fill in the blank in the notes. And you can tell what families worship, and when you start thinking about worship, um, it's really easy to see what families 
worship? What's the value system of a family? Some families worship food. Some families worship the Green Bay Packers. You know, you can walk into the house and everything's green and yellow in the house. And uh, just working out that balance of how do we enjoy these things without them becoming idolatrous is a very good thing to work through as a family. The kids, 1 Timothy 6.17, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. So kids, how do we enjoy our hobbies but enjoy them as an act of worship instead of them being God uh, in themselves? Now that leads to some nuts and bolts of how does this actually work. I'm going to skip through some of this on living as worshipers. The advantages of family worship. Before I talk about this, let me uh, read you another testimony. This was from our son that we spiritually almost lost. So I had a close call with a uh, teenage son and into his early college years and the Lord got a hold of his heart. And uh, he's real honest in his testimony here and I thought that would be good to read uh, just so you don't think we had the perfect family because I can assure you we didn't. Um, plenty of fights to break up, plenty of computer issues, uh, etc. His first paragraph, he talks about his early memories as a child and he has really good memories of that. But then he goes into his uh, junior high and high school years. And he says this, Family worship time was not always something that I looked forward to doing every day or almost every day. During junior high and high school years, I usually did not really want to have family worship time. I was either too good to spend that time with the family or was just not interested in sitting down and worshiping. Uh, with my family because I'd rather have been outside doing something with my friends. By way, by the way, he's the one in uh, Vermont that he and his wife now lead the youth group at their church. During college years, something changed in my life, and I began to look forward to the family to the worship time with my family. I was not a stuck-up teenager anymore, and began to realize how important time with the family really was. I began to bring friends to my parents' house for worship time. And it always was refreshing refreshing as we were able to spend uh, together worshiping. Even though I was not totally for the idea of having a worship time throughout the week, I'm very glad that my dad took it so serious and made a point uh, to have it as often as we could. Oftentimes we would read some verses, sing songs, and pray, but other times it was done in a lower key where we would either just read and pray or just have a time of prayer. Um, we had gotten to the point, this is my son, our son Josh, we had gotten to the point where we were going to ask him not to come to family worship anymore just because of the influence that he was having on his younger uh, siblings. Uh, he was sitting there, sto- not just even stoically, rebelliously, uh, He just the look on his face, the grunts as we were singing and the sighs when he was a teenage boy, and um, I was appealing to him, etc., and uh, we had j- were just getting to the place of, and based upon the principle in Proverbs, that if you strike the scorner so that the naive will learn, and that's a principle that's in the book of Proverbs, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get hard on the scoffer here because of his influence that he's having on the rest of the family. And uh, boy, were we pouring our hearts out uh, for him. And the Lord just started to soften his heart. And we didn't have to get to that. We were right on the verge and as a pastor, it was, it was, I was getting to some difficult decisions of, am I in the p- 
process of losing my ministry because of a rebellious child here, I believe that would have disqualified me from ministry and uh, based upon the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 of having my house in order. And uh, boy, was I doing a lot of praying and appealing to him and, and trying to spend extra time with him because of having a, uh, a rebellious child. And um, the Lord just started to soften his heart. And he came, came around and started singing and participating and being happy to be there rather than being a, a scorner. Praise the Lord. Um, advantages of family worship. It has helped us stay close as a family. One of the things that has happened through the years in family worship, uh, and the way it's helped us stay close, because you wonder, okay, how does this getting together and praying and singing help you stay close? Well, what it has helped us do is communicate. So I'll take prayer requests, and inevitably when we take prayer requests, we get off on what we call bunny trails. And somebody, I mean, it just starts going somewhere, the story. And after about five minutes, I have to say, hey, we were doing prayer requests. Let's get back on track here. And we're laughing together because of what the story that got told because of this prayer request. Just doing something together as a family that the kids could count on, that led to unity. Helping prepare children for life, that's self-explanatory. It's helped with communication. Is the shepherd of my family... If I was sensing a lot of tension in the family, boy, did family worship time help for having family meetings. These became the family meeting times to do conflict resolution and to teach peacemaker principles. Uh, A book that we used for family worship was called Peacemaking for Families, and we read through that together. It's one of the books that Peacemaker Ministries offers, and it's a really wonderful resource. Uh, stability, just the idea of consistency, the idea of male leadership in the home. I already talked about that uh, with the kids. Creating memories. Boy, do we have a lot of good memories. Let me just tell you a, a couple of those. The church where I pastored was three blocks from the Virginia Tech campus. And so one of the things we did as a ministry was adopt foreign students. And for about three years, we adopted a Muslim student. And uh, Abbas Hussein, how do you like that for a Muslim name? Abbas Hussein. And Abbas would come to our home. And as was our practice, anytime anybody was visiting in our home and it came time for family worship, we'd just invite them to stay for family worship. I wasn't embarrassed at all with company being there. And most often, uh, company thanked us for allowing us to, or allowing them to be part of our family uh, worship time. I'll tell you another story about that in a moment. But Abbas sat there, and I would ask him, Abbas, at first I would say to him, Abbas, uh, we have a practice of reading the Bible together, singing, praying together, and we would understand totally if you want to leave, but we would love for you to stay. And inevitably, he would stay. And uh, so there's, he never made a decision for the Lord but there is a, a Muslim out there. He graduated from Virginia Tech, and boy, was he influenced with what I think is Christianity, uh, just seeing happy worshipers that really love the true and living God, reading his word, praying together. He walked away from his years at Virginia Tech uh, with that experience. Another one of our fun memories is we had missionaries visiting with us from Europe, 
and they were typical Europeans. I could speak like five languages. And so if we had more time, I'd tell you a joke about that. You know, ask me afterwards um, about speaking multiple languages. But um, they had some teens with them from France and Austria visiting. They were from Germany, and they had some teens from Austria and France with them. And they knew all the same worship songs that we did. Plus, the father of that family had grown up in Colombia, so he knew Spanish. So we were singing worship songs at the same time. And it was a little taste of Revelation chapter 5, people from every tongue and tribe and nation, uh, but with guitars. We had a couple of guitars going, and we had French, German, English, Spanish, at least one other language in there, because we had about five languages going all at the same time, singing the same worship songs. I don't know if we were on the same verses, because I, but it's a, just a wonderful memory. We One of the things we did, especially when the kids were younger, is we did skits together, act out Bible stories, um, etc. So just lots of fun memories also. Here's some suggestions for carrying out family worship. I believe the Word of God needs to be central. That's what number one is. Because John 17 says, Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. And John 8.32, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, I don't always read Scripture, especially if we're in a rush with family worship, but uh, the kids would tell you that Scripture has always been central. On Saturday nights, I try to take a little bit longer time. And even as a pastor, I discourage the youth group from being out late on Saturday nights because um, I believe that Sunday morning corporate worship is extremely important. And how can you worship the Lord well if you're tired and yawning? And what we get to do on Sunday morning is this amazing thing of coming before the God of the universe as the body of Christ. So one of the things we did on Saturday night as a family was take a little bit longer. If typical family worship was 15 minutes, on Saturday night it's 20 to 25 minutes just to try to create, um, how do we, Lord, how do we get ourselves prepared to come before the true and living God on Sunday morning? So we'd read Psalms. Just uh, I'd normally break out of our routine of whatever we're reading uh, throughout the rest of the week, and we'd go to the Psalms and read worship Psalms just to start getting our souls prepared for what was going to go on on Sunday morning. Uh, music is, is part of what we, we did. I've been trying to talk John, who's the pastor, who is the worship pastor. I've been trying to talk him into recording some music for non-music families if you don't have uh, musicians in your family. But you can sing a cappella. And just make a joyful noise uh, to the Lord. We've done, we had some in-between years where we didn't have a musician. Our youngest now taught herself to play the guitar. And uh, she's now our musician uh, during our family worship. Prayer, obviously. Uh, we've read loads of books, just all kinds of books we read uh, together. Uh, there are curriculums you can buy. You can just get online and look. I've never used a curriculum. Uh, what I tell men, uh, I've had a lot of men say to me, I would have absolutely no idea where to start. And I say, get a MacArthur study Bible. Uh, get a study Bible 
and just read the passage of Scripture and then read the study Bible notes at the bottom and discuss them with your family. It can be as simple as that. This does not have to be a complicated thing. Um, current topics and issues, we've discussed all kinds of things. We've gone through catechisms together. Uh, I've discussed theology with the kids, um, all kinds of things we've discussed. Uh, if I sense there's some kind of need for the family, like when Grandpa died last fall, we just spent some extra time just talking about those types of things during family worship. Skits, uh, missions and evangelism. What do you do with all those prayer cards that missionaries hand out? And you put them on your refrigerator. Here's one of the things we did through the years. Uh, we had a box, and being a pastor, you can imagine the amount of prayer cards I had. Um, but we put them all in a box, and then the one that was in the front, that was the missionary that was featured for that night of family worship. And then we put them in the back, and then whoever was up next, that's the missionary family that we would pray for that night. Another thing that we did during our prayer time is we prayed through our church directory. And it was really a blessing for us as a fan, and for me as a pastor to stand up and say, hey, our family, we prayed for the A's and B's of the church directory on Monday, and we prayed for the C's and D's on Tuesday. So if you're an A or B, our just please know we prayed for you uh, on Monday. Uh, so missions and evangelism. I've already told you how the Lord used our, our family worship time evangelistically, and then I've already told you about Saturday night. Some counseling applications. The idea that everybody's a worshiper, that we just are supposed to live as worshipers. I think that this is a tool to stabilize families. When I do marriage counseling, one of the first things that I do with the husband is try to teach him, guys that I'm just discipling, even if it's not marriage counseling, one of the, thing, one of the first things I'll teach a man how to do is lead his family in family worship. I believe this encourages male leadership in the home to be spiritual leaders in their homes and teaches parents how to disciple their children. Well, I got through it, and I didn't read, didn't read all the testimonies. Uh, so what do you call a person who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call somebody that speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody that speaks one language? An American. <laughs> All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for this group of people. Uh, we need wisdom as parents in the midst of a difficult culture in raising a generation of God-fearers. And we want to pass down, we want to pass on the baton, Lord, to the next generation. Please give us wisdom to know how to do that, uh, especially as the days ahead uh, look like they could be increasingly dark. Only you know, Lord, but we want to live trusting you as the true and living God, and we deeply desire, Lord, that our children would live trusting you as the true and living God. So please give each parent here, even grandparents here, uh, wisdom as we try to do this with whatever method we choose. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.